You're listening to Beyond the Ribbon, a podcast of the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center. This podcast is brought to you by Kia of Amarillo, proud member of the Auto Inc. family of dealerships. Be sure to check out their website at kiaofamarillo.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan. Hey, Ryan. How are you today? Pam, I am really doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. You know, I always enjoy recording these podcasts because I feel like sometimes you and I learn a whole lot. And I really hope our listeners learn something. But um, today, you know, it's a topic that we've talked about in the past and that we know that a lot of our survivors suffer from. And lymphedema um, is hard. It's hard for our survivors to cope with. And it's an everyday thing. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that strikes me is we've talked about how many times someone needs to maybe hear something or hear a message before it finally sinks in. I know for me, uh, depends on what that message is, whether it sinks in after the second time or after the 10th time. But um, some of our listeners may be saying, why are you talking about lymphedema again? Y'all already done and you've already done because it's so prevalent and and there's so much to learn about lymphedema. Now, someone non-clinical, someone who doesn't have lymphedema has not had those kinds of issues. I find it very uh, challenging in all the ways to think about and remind myself if I had, you know, lymphedema, these are the things I should be doing. Um, And so I think it's important to revisit that, don't you? Absolutely. You know, it's never too late to learn something new. And if this is going to make a difference in our survivor's life, that's the most important thing that we can hope for. That's right. And uh, we we have a good guest today, Pam. We, we yes. have a really good guest. Um, you know, someone that was, um, point, we were pointed in her direction. And man, am I glad we were. Um, she's going to have a lot to bring to the table. So you guys get ready. You know, we always say to think about taking some notes on this because these are things you're going to want to go back and visit. So let me introduce you guys. Um, this is, she has quite the bio and you'll understand, you'll understand why there's quite a bit here. Cause she has done a lot. Um, today we have Dr. Sheree Prentice. Um, she's a proven visionary author and highly sought after physician leader. She's an occupational environmental medicine, physician, public health expert, and a breast cancer survivor. In addition to helping patients and healthcare practitioners transform how healthcare is delivered and experienced, she also shares her story, her voice, her life, and her victory in awe-inspiring and motivational ways. She brings a unique perspective of being a patient and a physician uh, to her impassioned and captivating speeches. Her remarkable story of pain, loss, and change has inspired hundreds of thousands of people across the country and abroad. Pam, she has delivered more than 500 keynote speeches and private seminars throughout the U.S. and internationally. Uh, Yes, she's been featured in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, lots of other publications, the Chicago Tribune, and she's also been featured in hundreds of television, radio, and newspaper interviews reaching millions around the country. And we can also add and Beyond the Ribbon podcast. Recently, she founded her own nonprofit organization, which we know takes a lot of time. Uh, It's called the Live Today Foundation, an organization that enhances the quality of life for breast cancer survivors, especially those that suffer from lymphedema. They contribute to uh, the health and well-being of its recipients by providing much needed and medically necessary compression garments. And we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. Um, The unique thing, too, Pam, is if that wasn't enough, 
She's also a licensed evangelist uh, to fill up a little bit more of her spare time. Uh, now, she has two beautiful daughters, three bonus children. Uh, it says, of course, she divorced the father but kept the kids, Pam. And she loves to travel and believes in seizing every moment. Dr. Cherie, how are you? I am wonderful. I'm wonderful. Well, I listen, we are lucky to have you on our podcast with all the things you have involved in your life. Uh, so thank you for taking time out of your crazy busy schedule to join us uh, on, and talk about a subject I know you, obviously, as I just said, are very passionate about. Absolutely. It is absolutely my pleasure. And the reason why I typically always say yes to this, because if I can influence, impact just one person, and I never know where that one person will be, is worth it. Is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Cherie, tell us a little bit about your journey with breast cancer and how it has impacted your life. Oh, wow. Uh, but breast cancer has changed it like completely. I was a practicing physician for, oh, 16 years. And um, all of a sudden I looked up one day and I was doing my self-breast exam. And, you know, I always encourage women to know your body, know your body um, and, and know it regularly. Check it regularly and often so that if you find something abnormal, uh, you'll know that it's abnormal. And I found a mass in my breast October 1st, 2008. And it changed my life. The moment I felt it, I knew that it was cancer. I'm not a pessimistic person. I know my body and I just know what, what settled in my spirit. And I was fortunate enough to have walked a couple of associates, uh, business associates along the journey um, recently because of their breast cancer uh, diagnoses. And so I had a whole list of breast surgeons and plastic surgeons and oncologists and, you know, all of those individuals in my repertoire because I was acting as their advocate, their patient advocate, if you will. So I already had them in my Rolodex and immediately went to call people. And long story short, I was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma. I was stage 2A. I underwent a partial mastectomy where they removed half my right breast. Um, 15 rounds of chemotherapy and 33 treatments of radiation. And during that time, I only missed three days of work, uh, which was the three days that I was in for surgery. Um, I immediately came out, just did what I had to do. And my mom was in the end stages of her life at the time. I was a single uh, parent, co-parenting two preteen daughters. So it was a lot going on in my life. And I, I muddled through. I got through. I just kept pressing through. And most people didn't even know that I had been diagnosed because I had started wearing wigs like years prior. I love variety. And so, you know, as a physician, you're working 12 hour days. You don't necessarily have the time for variety with, you know, doing your own hair. But man, I could certainly slap on a blonde wig for a couple of weeks and then turn around and be a brunette for another couple of weeks with a bob cut. And so people were used to Cherie's kind of pizzazz, right? So when they saw my hair short, they just simply thought I had gotten a new little haircut. And it wasn't until I shared with them, I said, oh, no, this 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 cut is due to thanks to chemo. And then everybody's eyes got wide, you know, so I, I muddled through it and I got through it. Um, but then a year later, I developed lymphedema and I looked up and I realized that in this muddling through a breast cancer diagnosis, 
co-parenting two preteen daughters, taking care of my mom in the end stages of her life, I didn't address my grief. I just pushed right on through. And it impacted me from a personal perspective, which subsequently affected me from a professional perspective, meaning I didn't do anything wrong on my job. I just realized I'm not finding the joy. I wanted to be a doctor ever since I was two years old. What happened to my joy? What happened to my looking forward to getting up in the morning and going and taking care of patients because I knew I was going to make a difference in their life? I lost that. And so I had to take a step back, get myself into counseling, try to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And it was at that point in my life where things really shifted for me. So you talked about having surgery. You had a partial mastectomy. Did you have lymph nodes removed? I did. I had a what's called a level one lymph node dissection. So they removed 16 lymph nodes out of my right armpit, and three of which were positive for cancer. So I was set up between the cancer itself invading the lymph nodes, the removal of additional lymph nodes, surgery and the chemo and the radiation. I had all of those additional risk factors piled upon me that left me at a significant risk for lymphedema. And at the time, the first person to really mention lymphedema as a risk factor was my radiation oncologist. I'd been through, what, two other physicians before then. And at the time that the the known statistic was to say one to two percent. So when it happened to me, I just thought, oh, my God, of course, Lord, (laughs) you want to use me as a testimony. Let me be in that one to two percent. But I later found out the percentages were way higher. And the research was just behind the times and everybody was quoting old studies. That's not the statistic that we hear today. Well, you, you just answered the question I was about to ask you is, it, were you told about lymphedema and, and when were you told about the, the, the possibility of lymphedema? Um, it sounds like maybe it was a little downplayed, would you say, obviously? Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, Pam, we we know now from our extensive uh, guests that we've had on on our podcast talking about lymphedema, golly, it is a lifelong risk that you have, even if you just had one lymph node uh, removed or damaged. And um, I, I feel like, you know, you, you think, oh, one to two percent, that's not going to be me. And you don't worry about that kind of stuff. Correct. Did you say that you didn't develop lymphedema until a year after? A year after when it set in like permanent. What I did notice is that as soon as I finished radiation, I remember finishing radiation on July 2nd. I'll never forget it because I was like, yeah, I get to celebrate Independence Day, done with treatment. Um, But then that following week, I did notice some kind of some swelling in my in my hand and in my arm. But I also had what they call cording. Um, in my right armpit, that scar tissue that can occur whenever they remove lymph nodes. So we kind of thought, I thought um, that, you know, the swelling that I was having was also in addition to the cording. And so did some physical therapy, swelling resolved. I was told to, you know, wear some compression garments when I traveled, when I worked out, you know, the usual information they tell you. Don't lift anything more than five pounds. You know, don't exercise too hard. All of the things, don't get any blood draws or blood pressure checks. I did all of that. And so I managed for a full year, not noticing any significant swelling, but still experiencing the symptoms that individuals that are developing lymphedema 
experience, that tightness, that weird feeling. My right arm and hand just didn't feel the same as the other one. It felt tight. Sometimes it felt like it was going to pop, but it looked absolutely normal. My neuropathy that I had developed from my chemotherapy seemed to be worse in my right hand than it was in my left. I noticed that when my hand, right hand got cold, my fingertips seemed to kind of turn those weird kind of colors that it didn't happen on the left. So all of these were warning signs that lymphedema was creeping in. And Sheree, again, just pressed on again, just, hey, this is just some swelling because so many of my fellow physician cohorts and counterparts said the same thing. It's just some swelling. Thank God you're a survivor. So I just kept pressing through, thanking God that I was a survivor, not, not really appreciating that lymphedema was setting in in its possible reversible stages, but I let it go too long. And by the time that year later, when it set in, it was stage two. It was completely irreversible. So for our listeners and listening out there that may think, oh, I have a little bit of swelling, my hand, my rings feel tight. What suggestions do you have for them? Well, the first suggestion I have for them is that when you are diagnosed and you are seeing that breast surgeon, or sometimes depending upon the nature of your diagnosis, maybe the first person you're going to have treatment with is the medical oncologist. Because depending upon you know, your diagnosis, sometimes you get chemotherapy first before surgery, or vice versa. That first physician you see, you need to ask him or her, do you have a lymphedema prevention program? That's the first thing, first thing, first thing. I mean, yes, you're going to answer all the questions regarding your cancer. I understand that. But realize that these physicians are focused on getting you cancer free. And it's just now in recent years with physicians like me, organizations like the Lymphatic Education and Research Network that are really pushing patients to be advocates for themselves, to ask the question about lymphedema early because you can be considered quote unquote cured from your breast cancer. Once you develop lymphedema, you will never be cured. It's a lifelong condition you will live with for the rest of your life. So the first thing I tell individuals before you ever develop any symptoms, when you first get diagnosed, ask if there is a lymphedema prevention program at the facility where you're being treated. And then I would suggest <clears throat> that if you begin to develop those symptoms that I mentioned, immediately contact one of your treating physicians, immediately, because you could potentially be in stages zero and one. Lymphedema develops in stages zero, one, two, and three. One and zero and one are the reversible stages. There's an opportunity in stages zero and one to reverse it, to do intervening treatment and prevent you from developing chronic debilitating lymphedema like I did. But if you wait and still take until stage two and the swelling is there, even if it's just slight, by the time your eyes can appreciate swelling, it's permanent. Don't get there. Don't be like me. And I'm a physician and people will say to me, oh my God, you didn't notice the signs or symptoms. At the time I was a patient, was not a physician. And I told all of my fellow physicians that were treating me, please treat me as a patient. Don't expect that I'm going to reach back into my medical school years and things of that nature because I'm not an oncologist. So that learning and teaching that I got when I was in med school and residency, that's old. 
I've been a physician now for 30 years. I graduated when I was seven. Um, no, I didn't. <laughs> but but you, you, you have to appreciate that that person, I don't care what level of education they have or how much information you feel like they can store, they are a patient. And so you have to, as a clinician, be mindful that you're dealing with a patient that's taking on a lot of information. So make sure you put that information that they need to know first and foremost, first and foremost to their minds. Was that hard for the roles to be reversed as from physician to patient? <laughs> yes. In some ways, no, because your illness just takes you there. There's some days that you you feel like a patient. And I, I, I it was very difficult um, being behind the computer screen running 16 different clinics. I had 110 full-time employees that were reporting to me. And there were days that, that I'd go to chemo. And with between the drive to chemo, getting the infusion and getting back home, it's a couple hours. But then I come back home and I give the next six hours working. And there were days when it was a struggle because I felt horrible. Sure. And so that that duality, I was being a physician behind a computer and running facilities. But deep down inside, my, my daughters are coming home from school, looking at me, looking green um, and not being able to eat. And so it was hard for me because I was so used to taking care of other people. Even before I became a physician, I was healthy. And so I was always helping other people. And now I was in the position of needing help. It was very humbling, um, but it also made me aware of my humanity um, and my mortality. Um, and so it was difficult. And one of the more difficult parts was having knowledge and some knowledge of what I could be facing and living with and dealing with um, that I think other patients that are not physicians or not clinicians or not in the, you know, not nurses or in the medical field, they don't know. So sometimes it's kind of good to go in blind. <laughs> sometimes it's not. So it was a struggle for me. And we've talked about that too, where, you know, just enough to be in a position that you wish you didn't know. <laughs> yes. And I, I think it's interesting, gosh, you're, you're to be uh, applauded for um, continuing to, to, you know, practice medicine and care for people in the midst of you being cared for and needing to be cared for and talk about switching roles and wearing different hats from, you know, being a patient and a couple hours later being a physician and then six hours later being a mom and and doing all the things. And, you know, I applaud people who are able to continue to work through their treatment um, and, and and get through and, and make things happen there. You, you brought up something a minute ago that I want to go back to. Um, you said you made a statement. You said, what happened to my joy? And can, do you mind elaborating on that for our listeners? Yeah. Um, during that period of time, because keep in mind now, my mom was terminally ill. And so my mom actually died um, between my third and fourth rounds of chemo. And then, like I stated, I was a, a recent divorcee. And I and uh, my children's father, thankfully, have a wonderful relationship. And so we were co-parenting. 
But it was still now all of a sudden looking up when we got married, I was 20 years old. I was a baby. I was a kid. And that was that was my first that was his and I first step. We shouldn't have got married that young. But, you know, the Lord bless us with two beautiful children. So all things work together for the good. They were our good. But what that meant for me was that now I'm looking up and I am 41 years old and I have spent half of my life married to someone that I am now no longer married to. Um, my mom, who I thought would be with me until she's 80, 90. I mean, my my mom's grandmother didn't die. I mean, my mom's mom. No, I was right. My mom's grandmother didn't die until she was like 99 years old. And so there is longevity in my family, both on my mom and my dad's side. But my mom had a condition called sarcoidosis. And so now as the youngest of four children, having been made the executor of her estate, um, and I say that my mom said that like makes it seem like we had like the estate. It was not, honey. I just took care of her home going <laughs> and dispensed the little little bit of life insurance policy money that she had amongst the children. But now I realized my mom, who I was really tight with, is gone. Um, I'm now she left me with certain um directives for my dad that my dad didn't even know about, right? Just things that her and I worked on. And now I'm single and all of a sudden I'm, I'm diagnosed with breast cancer. Looking at my body, it's, it's scarred now. And so now even my thought of a future relationship, you know, you're looking in the mirror and go, who gonna want that? You know, so it's all of these thoughts that are going through your mind. And then with the swelling and there were changes that were going on at the job and I'm I'm taking care of and protecting my full-time employees because there was mess that was happening within that healthcare system that I was shielding them from. And I just felt so burdened that um, I felt like I did not have anyone here on earth that was looking out after me, that their soul goal was to make sure I was good. That used to be my mom and now she's gone. And so now I'm supposed to be the strong person because we as cancer survivors hear this all the time. Oh, you're so strong. Oh, you don't look like you ever had a sick day in your life or, oh girl, thank goodness you got a nice even head. Everybody don't look good bald. I mean, people have no idea the crazy comments that they make to you and they call themselves being helpful, but it is not helpful at all. So I had gotten to a place where because I had not dealt with my grief, it was a lot for me to grieve. I needed to grieve the loss of my mom. I needed to grieve my diagnosis. I needed to grieve the loss of my hair, half of my right breast, my life as I knew it. I needed to go through that process. And because I hadn't, that joy, I just became very robotic. I went patient, work, children, da -da, it, it. it's no joy. I'm helping people. And there was a time when I poured out into people and I felt good about it. Now I just felt like I was pouring out to people just doing things that I was supposed to do because it was expected of me, but not feeling any joy from the blessing that I was being to other individuals. I had lost it. I felt empty. So how did you find joy again? Well, literally one day, I remember driving home. I had joined a gym and was driving home from the gym and then I realized I was trying to schedule I am my daughter's next girl's trip. So when my kids turned 10 and 8, I took them every year on a girl's trip. We always did a family trip together and then just a girl's trip. 
And so now this particular year, it was in 2009 and I'm planning for 2010, um, what are we gonna do? I could not look that far in the future. It's like I couldn't get past a couple of weeks. I no longer had the ability to plan. It was as if I couldn't see my life past a certain stage. That's very disheartening and it's frightening. And then I realized my, my inability to be able to make such simple decisions was because I was stuck. So I said, you know what? Whoa, I need help. So I sought counseling and I searched out a grief counselor, a Christian grief counselor, and went to an organization, got assigned to one, went to her, did my initial, and then I left and said, no, she is not the one that's not going to work, not going to work. Um, and I tell the story because people need to understand, you don't have to go with the first doc that you get. <laughs> if it doesn't fit, you find someone else. And so I kept searching and I finally found the right one that allowed me and helped me to work through and process that grief, to process who I now was, this new individual, and that there was a plan for my life that God intended for me to live out. And I needed to receive it, accept it, um, heal from it, and grow from it. Too many times we push past that trauma. I'll forget about it. Oh, it's in the past. Da, 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 da. That's not the way to deal with trauma. You got to deal with trauma head on. Cannot push past it. You cannot push it down. So I sought a grief counselor and I was in counseling for a year. Changed my life. Yeah. You know, that is so awesome. One of the things that we do offer here is um, counseling for patients. Um, again, Ryan, how much is that cost for patients? It is absolutely 100% without question free of charge. And and Dr. Sh Dr. Sheree, uh, she hit something too, Pam, I want to bring up really fast on that. She, she went to, first of all, you know, made the decision to seek out counseling, found someone and maybe didn't click with that person. Yes. You know, this is another example, you guys listening, of being your own best advocate. Um, we work with four counselors here at, at the Cancer Survivorship Center. Every one of them are wonderful. They're so fantastic. They wouldn't be here if they weren't wonderful and fantastic. But that doesn't necessarily mean when we help facilitate you getting an appointment with one of them that that's the right one. You know, Dr. Shree, you, you hit on that and said, you got to find the person that you feel the most comfortable with, both from your medical team and from your survivorship team. Um, you know, and, and that's a key point, Pam, because that's why we have so many options when it comes to that. Uh, we're lucky to work with the four counselors that we have. And so um, that that's a beautiful statement uh, that you had, Dr. Shree. And they're all four so different. So, you know, um, you got to find the right fit. That's right. And you may be listening and you're you're living, you don't live in Amarillo. You know, we, we serve the 26 counties of the Texas Panhandle. This is the last little piece I want to say on that. Um, our counselors are able to work virtually. Uh, that, it's a it's, it, the beautiful thing out of the pandemic, if ever there was, is the, the ability to, to, to shift and do things virtual. So our counselors are able to see. So if you're if you're in Pampa or you're in Borger, you're Spearman, you know, one of those places that's not in Amarillo and you need help as a cancer survivor, uh, reach out to us here at the center because 
um, gosh, losing your joy. I mean, I, 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 I feel like that's a key piece is when you lose joy, um, you know, we've talked on a, a previous podcast about hope and we've talked about, you know, healthy living. And if you don't have joy, you're, you're going to struggle in all of those areas. And so I, Dr. Shree, I think for being very vulnerable and sharing that with our listeners and just being, a, you know, an, an open uh, testimony to getting that joy back. And you said it took you about a year. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another beautiful statement because things don't happen overnight. Your diagnosis didn't happen. Your treatment didn't happen overnight. Um, it's going to take time to take care of yourself. And it's okay to schedule those appointments and take care of you so that you can be there for your family. So after you found that joy, and were you able to take that trip? We were. We actually took a beautiful seven-day Eastern Caribbean cruise, and it was absolutely phenomenal. And we've we've taken a vacation every year until they went away to to college. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that healing process. And I always share my vulnerabilities because, again, so many times people just considered and always looked at me as as a child, as strong. You'll get through it strong, that that word strong. And I had to remind people, especially my family, I come from a family of pastors and bishops and apostles, and I've been in the church all my entire life. And I had to remind them that it is in, it is in, in my weakness that he is made strong. So stop calling me strong is very dismissive of what I'm going through right now. I know that you're trying to tell me you can make it, But I'd rather you say that, hey, Sheree, you know what? With the help of God, keep doing what you're doing. I'll go shopping for you. I'll take care of the kids for you. Say something like that and then just tell me, you keep pressing, you keep pressing and I'll be here with you. That's what can help me be stronger. But just telling me strong is can be a very dismissive comment to someone who's going through. And I wrote a book about it. I had to, and and I I was scared about sharing this in my book because I didn't share names except for my children's names, but there were people that read that book. They knew exactly who they were in it. And it's just to help people understand that when you're going through a journey like this, certain things to say, there's certain things to do. There's this churchy chatter that is not beneficial. There are people who told me, you know, where was my faith? Cause I was having all of this treatment and, you know, and then I'm there suffering, having to remind them, well, faith without works is dead. And part of my works is going for my chemo, knowing that ultimately God is my healer. But unless you are walking in my shoes, don't say that to me. Imagine your close family members that you grew up with chastising you over getting treatment. It's a very difficult time. Looking back on it, no wonder I didn't have any joy. Right. Said it again. How did this all change your career? Well, when lymphedema set in, um, it caused significant swelling in my right arm, hand, and fingers. I underwent 16 weeks of physical therapy. 16, Monday through Friday, every single day, wrapping and taping and all of this. And after 16 weeks, I was still left with a significant amount of swelling where I had to wear compression garments every day, uh, certain set during the day and a particular set at night. Um, And now I'm right-handed. So now I can't perform the clinical functions of my job. 
job I've wanted ever since I was two years old. So after 16 years of clinical practice, it was over. And that sent me through another shift of depression. Oh my word, back into counseling I go. What do I do now? I, I know that I can't just do any old thing. I'm just, there are people that you could do medical record reviews. You can do this and you could do that. And I'm, yes, there are things that I could do that can make money and keep food on the table. And, and I'll do those if I have to do that. But there has to be something more from this testimony, from what I've been through, than simply doing medical record reviews. And I was grateful that the door opened up. I became the national spokesperson for Susan G. Coleman for their three-day. I served as the national spokesperson for six years. During the course of that first year, I realized, you know what, Cherie, you have several initials behind your name. What's stopping you from starting your own healthcare consulting business? So I did. And so now I opened up my own healthcare consulting business where I would consult with Fortune 500, 100 companies plus individuals um, and helping them, them through whatever process they needed to get through while also building my professional speaking career. I realized, okay, now I'm taking the stage, but I've never been formally trained in this. So what is it that I needed to do? Join the National Speakers Association, became very regularly involved with them, still doing a lot of speaking, but now realizing mm, there was some self-teaching that I needed to, to go through so that really I could take the stage and engage individuals and make it a pivotal impact in the lives of the individuals that I'm now presenting to, whether or not it's on physician leadership, cancer survivorship, entrepreneurship, whatever it is, I wanted to have an impact. So I self-taught, I self-learned, I became a certified speaking professional. That is the highest designation awarded by the National Speakers Association. There are less than 600 of us in the world. And boom, here I am today because lymphedema took away my clinical practice. I now have a life I could have never imagined or dreamed for myself. So instead of healing with my hands, the laying on of my hands and doing physical exams, I'm healing with my mouth. I'm healing with my story and I'm healing with my vulnerability. Absolutely. Um, it's a weird way, right? And I can relate to this, a weird way that that you get to where you're going by something that you you thought, there's, you know, that, that will never be me. And you end up in a place where you're being used and you're being um, so beneficial to people um, through a, a really rough time in your life. And uh, it's, it's such, it's so interesting to me to see people that, you know, the easy thing, right. Would have been just to say, woe is me. Uh, you know, I used to be able to, I can't now, but I'm going to trudge on, I'm going to make lemons from lemonade, you know, lemonade from lemons kind of thing. And here I am now. And I would assume the next step was your nonprofit. It and absolutely was. So let's dive into, uh, your, your nonprofit that you started. In my travels. And a lot of times I'm speaking about uh, cancer survivorship, right? So there are a lot of organizations that want me. It's, October is my busiest month, obviously, of the year. And now I'm seeing women that are walking around, swollen arms, swollen limbs. Some of them are wearing compression garments. A lot of them are not. And when I'm, what I'm finding out is that many of them are told the same story as me. Oh, it's just some swelling. Thank goodness you're a survivor. But then there are a lot of individuals who knew what they had, but they couldn't afford the compression garments. 
and compression garments were not covered by their insurance. Many of these women were uninsured. They were left by their husbands while they were going through chemo and the husbands were the ones that had the health insurance. So I said, okay, let me check out organizations out there that that providing free compression garments. I couldn't find any. So be the change that you want to see, right? And so I created my own nonprofit and the nonprofit had three initial goals. One, to better educate clinicians, physicians on how to properly diagnose lymphedema and to make them aware of the psychosocial impacts of lymphedema. People don't think about the embarrassment you feel. They don't think about the intimacy issues that you have. They're not thinking about the financial implications of having to constantly buy compression garments or to buy new clothes because your old clothes don't fit. (laughs) Um, To educate patients about what lymphedema is. It is not just some swelling. To educate them about what could happen if it's not properly treated. And then finally, to provide free compression garments to under-resourced cancer patients and survivors living with lymphedema. And I was fortunate, started this back in 2017. And over the course of these, what, six years now, we now have the ability because of new technology to not only just be able to do those first three goals, but we've added on a fourth one. And that is there is now new technology out there that allows you to be able to detect lymphedema in its early reversible stages with a simple device. You step on it, it looks like a scale. It's called a sozo device and it measures your intracellular fluid. And many cancer treatment facilities and healthcare organizations have this device. Um, And you step on it 30 seconds, it reads your intracellular fluid and you get a baseline. You usually wanna have it done before any treatment is done on you at all. But if that's okay, if you had treatment, but you don't see any swelling, it's still worth getting into a monitoring program. And you're monitored regularly over the first three years of your treatment because 75% of cases of lymphedema will develop in those first three years of treatment. And now when there is a trigger, meaning that intracellular baseline level shifts, if it triggers, you can now be placed in compression garments 12 hours a day for four weeks. And imagine it reshifting or or redistributing that lymphatic flow. So wherever that blockage is, if it was here, now because you're wearing compression devices, you can now open up with the help of a physical therapist, open up these other channels that are not blocked to reshift the lymph flow into those areas. And now 95% of individuals who are detected this way do not go on to develop chronic debilitating lymphedema. So that's now our fourth goal. And I am over the moon. I'm over the moon with it. And now it's become my mission, if you will, to get more and more organizations um, to have a formalized lymphedema prevention program and to ensure that every single cancer patient is aware of the program and gets into this monitoring program so that one disease doesn't cause another. Wow. What an impact you're making. Thank you. I'll say, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting too, as, as a physician, that the first goal is educating physicians. Um, I think that, you know, and you've touched on the, the necessity for that. 
Um, but I mean, in terms of lymphedema, you, 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 you guys are, you're covering it. I mean, you really are. And, uh, you know, we're, we're blessed and lucky in, in our community to have, uh, um, lymphedema specialists here in town, um, that I know Pam, that you've, you've had patients that have seen before. And, uh, we've had one of them on our podcast before, uh, Shelly was on our podcast in, in, uh, year number one, um, talking about lymphedema, but I, I, you know, Gosh, it's not something you just have to put up with and live with. Absolutely so, right. No. The free garments, how do patients qualify for those? Be under-resourced, <laughs> facing financial difficulty, <laughs> being a cancer patient with lymphedema. Our, our website, we made, we, initially when we started off, it was a, you reach out to us and then we send you an application. <laughs> Now we streamline the process. They go out to our website, the tab, and it's bolded in pink, request for free garment application. You literally click on that, complete a simple online application. We get notified the application is complete. We're fortunate to have three partners that we work with, Juzo, Medi, and Lymphadivas. These are all garment manufacturing um, organizations. And we send you a link to one of those that will help you do, make sure you get the right measurements. We always tell individuals, go to your therapist because you cannot return these to us. We do not accept the liability of taking any returns. Once we send them out, we send them out. So have your therapist confirm your measurements, pick out what you want, your colors, tell us your size. And you know what? We place the order for you. The garments are shipped directly to the patient. It's oh. just that simple. Wow. So for our listeners, what is your website? The website is www.live, that's L-I-V-E dash today, T-O-D-A-Y dot org. Yeah, that's, Pam, I love when we have uh, guests who have programs and have um, fixes, right? Have fixes for problems that fit within our mission, of providing resources for survivors at no charge. Absolutely. I mean, you don't, you, you can't, you can't beat it. You just can't beat it. No, you can't. Not a better deal out there. No. Wow. Well, I tell you, Dr. Sheree, I, I have loved getting to visit with you and have you share your story, your testimony, uh, your passion, and your journey um, through uh, a long ways to get where you are, and I, I just I, I just want to thank you for that, and 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 let and ask you: Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners that we've not talked about today? I, I guess I would share with individuals, and I probably have shared this in one way or the other, just to ensure that you are living your purpose um, and recognize that that purpose shifts and changes throughout your life. And don't get stuck. Um, and sometimes when you have the expectation <clears throat> that this is what I'm doing and this is the path I'm on, things shift you and take you off that path. You can tend to want to beat yourself up or maybe beat somebody else up, right? <laughs> that put you on that path. But just recognize your path and purpose will shift 
throughout your lifetime. Just stay in tune that you are again and are always being a blessing to the individuals around you. We were placed here for service. And many times we want to be served. Um, but you may find yourself at a period of time in your life where you seem and feel like you're the only one that's doing the serving. But trust you, me, when the need is there, if you will just pour out, get the help you need. Now, there are resources. Don't sit there and just wait for some resource to come and knock on your door. You recognize you need help. You search your resources and you grab hold to them, right? But recognize I'm grabbing hold to these needs and these resources. I'm connected to dominoes. And if I fall, there are plenty of the dominoes that are coming behind me that's going to fall with me. And so accept that I'm going to stand up right and I'm going to reach out to the, the help that I need and get the resources that I need. And then having done all the stand when I can't do anymore, stand where you are, just stand. Cause what you did was good. That's wow. a beautiful message. Um, I almost think that could be our auto ink inspiring moment, but do you, we are sponsored by auto ink. Do you have an, another inspiring moment that you can share with us? <laughs> I do. Here's the thing. My organization is called Live Today. And people may have asked the question, what is Live Today got to do with lymphedema? You know, and they were like, L, L. <laughs> like, no. When I came out of my diagnosis, remember that period of time after I came through those 14 weeks of, of, of physical therapy and I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life? I literally heard the word Live in my ear. I heard it. And in my mind, I thought, that's exactly what I'm doing. I didn't die through the chemo. I didn't die through the cancer. I didn't die through all of my cardiac diagnoses that I was going through. So I live. So what does that mean? And over the course of time, live was spelled out to me. And here's my inspiring moment. Live for me. And I encourage everyone to accept this as a mantra for yourself. Love yourself and others. Inspire those around you. Voice your dreams and ambitions and enjoy life. In other words, live today and every day. Wow. I love it. I, you, you can't help but be inspired when you hear such a powerful um, description of what living is, Pam. Exactly. You know, and I just wished our listeners could see our Zoom little chat here and Dr. Cherie's got the biggest smile and I just, it's contagious. You know, yes. so. <laughs> my cheeks, my <laughs> cheeks are a little tired of smiling and, and I hate to say that, but it is, it's contagious. You're, you just, you're living out that joy. And I, I can see that I, again, Pam, you're exactly right. I wish our, I hope our listeners can feel it because I can feel it as well. And uh, what a powerful, powerful uh, testimony and story you have. Thank you. Now, let's tell our listeners one more time. How can they find you um, out there on the Internet? They can find us at www.live-today.org. They can shoot us an email at info, I-N-F-O, at live-today.org. And if they're out there on social media, 
just Google Live Today Foundation. You will find us. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. Dr. Thank Sh- you. This is this has been such a uh, a wonderful visit. Um, Pam, I I cannot echo what you said at the beginning about learning things and uh, applying those new things. It it for someone who feels like they know a fair amount about the oncology world and being around for a while, I'm sure you probably are, are about the same feeling the same way I am. You know, there's something that we learn out of each one of these episodes. And, you know, um, there's so many resources and um, we can lead them to you or we can show them to you. Um, but we can't let I mean, we can't do the work for you. So um, get out there, go to that website and tell someone that's suffering from lymphedema about this website. There is resources um, that you can um, help your friends out with. That's right. Again, it's live, L-I-V-E dash today dot org. Uh, go there, check it out. Uh, get out there. You know, if you're on social media, follow uh, live today dot org. Follow them on their their social media platforms as well. And uh, again, this is such an important topic. Maybe you are not in active lymphedema at the moment, but know your risk factors. Know that you are, if you've had one one single lymph node removed or damaged during treatment, you are at a lifetime risk of developing lymphedema. Pam, we've talked about this countless times, being your own best advocate, paying the most attention to your, your signs and symptoms, not letting those things kind of step in the way. That's an easy thing that can get lost and, oh, it'll get better. Oh, it'll get better. But paying attention to those symptoms and following back up with your medical team. Absolutely. We want to make sure that you know that is where we would send you, you know, Pam is a resource for you here at the center. You can call Pam and tell her, call Pam and visit with her 806-331-2400. And, you know, I'm having these symptoms and Pam's going to say, call your doctor, call your nurse, get back in because that's where you need to be is being seen back by your medical team. Again, thank you guys for joining us for today's episode. We appreciate you sharing this episode. We appreciate you subscribing to our podcast. Pass this on um, to anyone you know uh, that has had um, uh, lymph nodes removed or potentially has um, lymphedema. And then make sure you join us next time for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thanks again for listening to Beyond the Ribbon. We'd like to extend a special thanks to the Auto Inc. family of dealerships as they have supported the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center since 2016. For more information on the Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website at 24survivorship.org.